from Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbors magazine, covering Maine's boats, harbors, arts, and architecture since 1987. Bringing the coast as close as the mailbox, on the web at maineboats.com. This is Free Speech Radio News. Free Speech Radio News is the only daily half-hour progressive radio newscast in the U.S. It's owned and managed by news reporters. Free Speech Radio News is an independent broadcast news organization with over 200 journalists who report from 40 states within the U.S. and 57 countries from around the world. You can hear Free Speech Radio News weekday afternoons at 4.30 p.m. right after Jim Hightower commentaries, only on Community Radio WERU-FM. Boat Talk is made possible in part by the Red Fern Boat Company of Hancock County. Since 1982, offering maintenance, storage, and restoration for powerboats and sailboats. Also offering dockage on Mount Desert Island, redfernboat.com. It's just a few seconds before 10 o'clock, and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online everywhere at WERU.org. Boat Talk with your hosts, Alan Sprague, and Mike Joyce is up next. Good morning, that's the uh, good folks at Schooner Fair piping in Boat Talk here on Community Radio WRU-FM Blue Hill. Boat Talk is your call-in radio show for people contemplating things naval. And Boat Talk is uh, probably your primary boating source for people who might be listening in New Hampshire today. Today we're going to be doing one of the favorite things for uh, blue water sailors to do in the month of January here in Maine. That's uh, sit inside and tell stories. And I think I'll let Mike introduce our guest today. Well, uh, you know, it's the old thing with Boat Talk. When they first got us uh, doing Boat Talk, uh, we did it in the summertime, and then they said, that's great, you got to do it all year round, and, and that was the nightmare. What will we talk about in January? Right. And Speaking of introductions, I didn't really do our introductions either. You are Mike Joyce. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and I'm Alan Sprague. Yeah. Did you make a pun this morning? The uh, primary boating source for people listening in New Hampshire. Prime. Got it. Oh, you uh, went all political. See, uh, I yeah. Don't, yeah. Uh, can't help get political. <laughs> danger, danger. Um, boat talk. Uh, you know, is uh, uh, we are boat people. Uh, Alan and I are both boat builders. I sail and deliver boats, and and uh, we never run out of things to talk about in January. And this morning we have Captain Kelly Clicker in with us, and. Captain Kelly got introduced to me by John. You can call him Vern from Morning Maine. He's uh, helping build Kelly's house down in Bucksport, and uh, Kelly's uh, a uh, captain. Hi, uh, Kelly's. Yeah, mostly uh, spent your career down in powerboats in the Caribbean. Uh, both power and sail. Owned my own sailboat and figured out driving powerboats for a living was much better. We'll talk about the theory of having a, a sofa and, and a TV behind the steering wheel. Uh, that's that's what I've always hoped for. But anyway, we have Captain Kelly Clicker in this morning. We're going to talk about a couple other things in the news. we got a couple of books. Uh, mostly this morning we're going to, uh, uh, for the month in review, it's it's about critters. And uh, 
A theme we've been talking about on, on Boat Talk with a bunch of people is um, we don't know where all the critters go and what they do all the time, which is kind of astounding today. Uh-huh. You know, we talk about this so often, I think we're going to have to make a little category called uh, What's Fishy, Mike? What's Fishy? Good one. Well, um, the whales, the right whale people just went out on December 13th, and they went out on a 14-hour trip on the, on the whale watching catamaran on a southwest harbor. They went off to the Jordan Basin. 20 volunteers saw 30 right whales. And, uh, this all is right whales? All right whales, they wow. said. Uh, and this is an ongoing, our friend, uh, Boat Talk uh, regular suspect, Dr. Maura Brown from the New England Aquarium, was leading the trip. And they took some fishermen out and other volunteers. They took a fisherman out. Uh, he'd never seen a right whale. He'd never even imagined a right whale. And he was the first one to spot one. And he was quite impressed. Huh. You know, um, this is a census by chance project that identifies and catalogs whales that summer off the coast of Georgia and Florida and return to Maine waters between November and January to breed. Now, they didn't used to know that those whales were out there this time of year. And again, uh, uh, we're just starting to get reliable transmitters. The right whales are, uh, we've talked about, are frisky. They're very amorous, and they rub against each other too much, and they can't keep transmitters on, uh-huh. you know? I mean, nice problem to have when you get right down to it, but it inhibits the scientists. So, um, yeah, the, uh, the uh, New England Aquarium people went out on the 13th. Now, I thought I had my way talked onto that boat, but uh, we didn't hear about it this year. They're seeking funding for ongoing trips, and one of these times I want to get out there and, and uh, go on one of those trips, and I've never seen a right whale. I have neither. Have you ever told the story of why they're called right whales? Uh, right whales, because uh, they were the right whales to catch. They were easy to catch, and they were profitable. In, uh, you and know, and they floated after they were Yeah, they, they, they were a good whale to fish, easier to catch than others, and profitable as well, so the right whale. You uh, identify them at sea now, deliver boats by the end of Cape Cod all the time. We call that whale soup. I mean, we've been surrounded by as much as two dozen humpbacks at a time, but I don't think I've ever seen a right whale. And uh, you look for a fork in the blow. Huh. It, is, it, the blow, it blows a Y instead <laughs> of like a mushroom cloud, uh, and that's how you tell, don't know that I've ever seen one. Mm. So now we're contemplating things nasal. <laughs> Good one. He's the punny one on Boat Talk. We uh, like to joke all the time that if we do see a right whale, we're going to have to stop the vessel, don life jackets, abandon ship, because, you know, uh, we can't be endangering that right whale. But the population does seem to be doing all right. And they're uh, I get that one. You, you slipped one in, Mike. Did I? Population is right. doing all right. Thank you. <laughs> uh, here's here's uh, something from the uh, Bangor Daily that is uh, very not good. Um, they are saying that the cod stock in the Gulf of Maine is much weaker than thought. And just as recently as 2008, they were saying it was gangbusters. The cod was great, coming back big time. And cod is uh, last year $15.8 million, second largest uh, uh, fish landed in the Gulf of Maine, value-wise. And they're saying right now that the new data has come in is uh, just saying that the cod is, is just not there and certainly not in the right age classes and stuff. The fishermen are up in arms about this. They, because uh, they say they're finding a lot. They're catching the cod, yeah. and they want to catch them and sell them. Um, they struggle with the scientists. The fishermen and the scientists struggle. And I had a little insight. It might be you. You went primary on us earlier. It might be like the fishermen. Uh, um, sorry, the politicians and the scientists. Mm. 
nobody likes an expert that dictates ultimate, you know, absolutely to them. Right. You yeah, know, that's right. a problem for, for any organization or group. You know, this is how it is. It's the word down from on science. It can't be challenged. And mm-hmm. that's something you're going to going to have a hard time accepting sometimes, whether you're a politician or a fisherman. But uh, danger, danger in the cod stock. We'll have to uh, keep track of that. This one is even more alarming as long as we're talking about, you know, the critters this morning. Diane Cowan. Diane is the executive director of the Lobster Conservancy in Friendship, and uh, she's been in the Maine lobster business about 30 years. Here's Diane's take on it. She says, a population can only take so much violation of nature's rules before its survival is, uh, is imperiled. And the point would be that a strong population can cope with an onslaught of natural and human-derived threats, but a compromised, non-natural population doesn't have much resistance. And what she says is that we're catching lobsters like they're going out of style, but they're all the same age. Hmm. And that's not healthy for the lobster stock. We catch lobsters that uh, mature at about eight years of age. A breeding female may or may not have bred by, they're just starting at eight years. You may have got them before they've started to breed. And uh, the longer they live, the more they breed. They have an ability to grow unlimited and breed uh, continuously. Lobster can, gr- uh, can live over 100 years. Now, if we catch all the eight-year-olds in any population, yeah, but they're not taking the females. No, and she has an issue with notching females as well. She uh-huh. says that's uh, you know compromises the integrity of the of the uh, critter, can lead to infection and stuff. She points out to the lobster crash in southern New England from Cape Cod South. The lobster fishery down there is absolutely crashed. Um, warming water, uh, pesticides, uh, the West Nile bird virus. Pesticides, they're thinking, might have done in some of them. Mm. And again, if it was a more mm. robust population, it might have done better. So the lobsters are out there, but Diane Cowan, we might have to talk about this more in the future. She's saying that, uh, you know, uh, it's just not healthy to catch all you teenagers. I'm sure she's taking a lot of heat for this. Well, and again, she might have a, she might have a, a point. And, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, you mess with the ecology at your own peril. It's a very careful system of checks and balances, and she's talking about a population imbalance in the lobster stock. And, you know, that's potentially kind of interesting and, and kind of devastating. And uh, be nice, nice to talk to her sometime. We are doing boat talk this morning. We get a phone number if anybody's uh, brave uh, enough to call true. before we that's get to the it is. Here. As I said, call-in radio show, one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. We'll talk to uh, Captain Kelly about being a being a, a yacht captain, a lady yacht captain, all kinds of other stuff. But uh, here's another one that's down in your old area, down in the Gulf of Mexico, the uh, Caribbean. Do we say Caribbean or Caribbean? Depends on your mood. I see. Okay. <laughs> How many drinks you had? Mount Desert, Mount Desert, okay. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So uh, here's a, a nice thing from the Bangor Daily News a week or two ago, and it is uh, said, Blue Marlin study thought of uh, more than just a game of tag. A fella, uh, and these are sport fishermen, they've been catching blue marlin and tagging them. And again, we've been trying to tag these things for a long time, but not successfully. The tags generally don't stay on the big fish. Uh, They don't function. They fall off. And this fella tagged a 150-pound blue marlin 
with pop-up satellite tag, and it stayed on there for six months. And that fish did some ramming around. And uh, I think this is pretty cool. Uh, where do these things go when you're, uh, excuse me here, where, where do these things go when they're out of sight? Now, think of this big fish. This is a, a big game fish. It needs to eat, and it needs a lot of oxygen. It needs a lot of, it needs oxygen-rich waters is, is one of the biggest things that it's looking for. It needs waters with high dissolved oxygen. There's dead zones in the ocean now mm -hmm. that don't have a lot of oxygen in them, let alone a lot of food. So uh, maybe the places where this fish is uh, able to go and thrive are changing. So here it says, after being tagged, the fish wandered north towards Cuba. It was tagged off the Cayman Islands. Okay. Okay. Wandered north towards Cuba, milled around between Grand Cayman Island and Cuba until late December 2009 when it traveled to a deep trench south of the Caymans. And it milled around in that general area until late January 2010. And then it headed northwest, far away from any landmass. In February, it passed fairly close to Cuba, then veered towards the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico in March. From there, it headed north into the Gulf of Mexico and did loop-de-loops in the eastern Gulf of Mexico in April. That's my favorite part. Sounds like a cruise ship. <laughs> Just going in circles for fun. And in May, it swam towards Cuba again, then north into the Straits of Florida, off the Florida Keys, and that's when they lost the tag. Six months in the life of a blue marlin ramming around the uh, southern ocean there, you know. Loops of loops in, in the Gulf of Mexico, huh? Why yeah. not? <laughs> yeah. Where, who knows if it wasn't affected by uh, whatever was left from the spill there, too. You know, no, there's lots of opportunities for misunderstanding Mother Nature. Another uh, theme we like on Boat Talk is the animals like to have fun. You know, why do whales jump? Because it feels good. There you go. Why does that marlin go loop-de-loop -loop in the Gulf of Mexico? Because it was having a good time going around in circles, I think. So anyway, uh, where do the critters go? And we're having more luck uh, tagging them and following them. Brings up an interesting book I come across, and I'm sorry I uh, forgot to note the author, but the book is called Hemingway's Boat, and it is a study of, it's kind of a biographical study of Ernest Hemingway looked at in, in terms of his favorite place, which was his boat. He bought a stock cabin cruising fishing boat that he had delivered down to Cuba in the mid-30s, and he loved that thing and spent as much time as he could. That was his favorite place, Hemingway hooked a lot of marlin. Mm -hmm. That was his favorite thing. Mm. And the book is outstanding. I'm sorry I can't think of the author. It is so well written. But it is the kind of biography where we learn of Hemingway by examining the other people around him in their lives. And while you're examining those other people, uh, his secretary, the, the guy that came along and married her and became a boat hand, Walter, for instance, then we delve deep into Walter's life and we learn all these really cool things about Walter Hemingway and the world in general, and it's just extraordinarily well done. It's called Hemingway's Boat. So that's the book <coughs> review for this morning. Got another one on the table here, and uh, oh, why don't we mention that, and then we'll get to talking to Kelly unless you want to give oh, us a call. Let me give the number again, yeah. too, so in case anybody's... It's not an easy one to remember. one 625 9378 Found this one at the Ellsworth Library the other day, and... Uh, didn't recognize it for a boat book at first, but I was lucky I caught it. This is outstanding, too. Captain Jim Sharp. He is a big uh, uh, in the Camden area, and Captain Jim was a uh, monomaniacally-minded boat person who <laughs> really was instrumental in, in the uh, early days of the Windjammer charter trade down the Camden area. Sharp's War, for instance, is mm -hmm. Captain Jim Sharp. 
So his uh, book is called With Reckless Abandon, Memoirs of a Boat-Obsessed Life. And uh, Jim, Captain Jim Sharp, among other things, had the uh, schooner adventure come uh, through him, sailed it for years. It got sort of uh, not approved by the Coast Guard. It's now down, I uh, saw it in uh, Gloucester, Massachusetts last summer on the bank, being rehabbed down there. And, uh, you know, it is the uh, ultimate renewable recycle resource, an old wooden schooner, according to some people. Or, again, Captain Jim Sharp, uh, just helpless in the face of boats and marine stuff. And, and you know, he had a, a list of... Uh, uh, marine obsessions that is just extraordinary by any standards and succeeded at most of them too with a really dogged determination. Tells a story here about uh, he brought a an old uh, the last registered steam tug in America was uh, built for the Delaware River, Delaware Bay and he brought it to Camden. Um, sort of hinted around to the town fathers uh, you know if I was to have a structure below the uh, tide line in the, in the harbor, do I have to talk to the code enforcement officer? No, no, nothing to do with me. You know, well, what if it was past the end of the wharf? Would that be the harbor master? No, no, nothing to do with me. You know, so he brought this tug into town. The thing's huge, and he turned it into a restaurant, uh, the Wanamaker. And uh, so anyway, he had to rehab it. And how do you get this tug back apart? Well, you got to get this he, one story here. I won't read it, but he talks about freeing up a cylinder. And the thing's huge. It's eight feet across. You've got to take off 100 bolts. Now, we've got to free this thing up. We're going to squirt penetrating oil into it and put chain falls to uh, uh, lift it up and whack on it with mauls. Okay? Oh, and the thing's just not going to move. This is an intractable problem. How, you know, and you meet these problems in life sometimes. My life can't work until that thing gets out of the way. Okay? What are you going to do? So he gets mad at it, and he instructs the crew, every time you come by here, I want you to whack on that thing till you run out of breath. Yeah, 15, until your ears go bad. <laughs> 15, 20 times a day, um, somebody would come by, squirt the thing with, with penetrating oil, take up on the chain hoist, the come-alongs, and whack the thing till they turn blue in the face, okay? Six days later, it pops. Wow. Yeah. And that's how you got to be sometimes to, uh, you know, the, and... Stories like that uh, with reckless abandon, the memoirs of a boat-obsessed <laughs> life. Captain Jim Sharp, I've, I've uh, only been a little ways through it, and I read ahead to get that part, and it's good. Hmm. So highly, highly recommend So it. you're waiting for the rebolting section. Well, uh, Captain Jim, I think, is uh, fairly retired by now, but he'd make a good fellow to talk to, too. So, yeah. yeah. Boat Talk, we are doing it. Uh, it comes on the second Tuesday every month, and, uh, you know, we do it because we like to do it. Um, and we have the ability to run into interesting people and, and get them to come over and talk on the radio, Captain Kelly Clicker. Um, we got introduced by uh, John, you can call him Vern, Morning Maine, uh, on Tuesdays. And uh, Captain Kelly, you are a powerboat captain. I am a powerboat captain. A licensed master. Yes, sir. In between gigs <laughs> at the present time. I'm taking a little sabbatical. Yeah. Now, uh, here's the classic boat talk question. What happened to you um, that messed you up about boats? Oh, God. Uh, I guess it was my, my folks. I was raised on a boat in Florida, on the east coast of Florida. And rain or shine, you know, 5 o'clock on a Friday afternoon, we'd pile in the car and head out to Melbourne, get on that boat and stay there until Sunday evening, six thirty, seven o'clock. And... Uh, I just had to find stuff to do while my folks were tinkering on their boat. So, staying out of their way, I found a little power boat and started trawling around the marina. 
and then one thing leads to another and you you get a little sailboat and you start sailing around and next thing you know you're you're a boater you know you're dreaming about them you're thinking about what you can do to make them go faster uh try to make your gas go longer do whatever you can just to get on the boat and then when you come back to the the house during the week then you go through a little what's raw you know you go to school you come home you don't have a boat until you rag on your parents long enough to get you a boat at home too so i used to come home from school and i had a little american fiberglass dinghy I used to drag it down to the shore on the lake and put my homework books in it and drift out in the middle of the lake and do my homework in the boat huh so it just seems that once you once it bites you you can't really get away the boat was the family happy place that's it and you're trying to stay in the zone that's aren't you it. <laughs> Just got to love it, you know, whatever floats. Yeah, That's well, an old reoccurring story, too. When you were uh, just learning uh, mm -hmm. on saltwater, um, do you remember the first time you got into trouble? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, Point that microphone a little closer, <laughs> okay. at, uh, straight at you, too, there. Yeah. Uh, first time I got in trouble was with my big brother, David. We were out there sailing the American fiberglass dinghy. And, uh, you know, I was, I was probably seven I didn't know that he didn't know what he was doing. Oh, oh yeah. So here we are this sailing This is called along. a learning experience. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and sailing around Melbourne where we were, where lots of, um, lots of uh, banks and uh, oyster shell areas, you can't see them because the water's dark. Hmm. So the next thing you know, he's, we're going really fast, and the boat stops. We don't. We slide off the front of the boat <laughs> and uh, turn around and look, and the rudder's floating away, and the, the little dagger keel is floating away. So Quick, quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, of course, I throw a gasket because I see parts of my boat floating away. Mm. But you learn that, you know, you hop back in the boat, and you paddle with your hands, and you, you get back. Catch up with the parts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so... There was a great uh, Newfoundland uh, play when they j first uh, discovered oil down in Newfoundland, and they made a, a, a play up about it. It was called Some Slick, and it featured a Newfoundland fisherman. He told all these outrageous tales, and the punchline for, for every tale was the same. Well, I lived. There you go. <laughs> Dodged another one. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, you um, uh, grew up in, in, uh, in a happy boat zone. Absolutely. And... Kelly, uh, you know, don't want to point any fingers, but again, it's a, it's an old boat talk theme. The the uh, the escapism of of uh, the boating thing, you know, uh, not wanting to totally grow up and join the real world. Right. At the same time, living in a world that is challenging, has rules, rewards, knowledge. You know, uh, it's a great place to to work and be at the same time. Right. But again, it's not always. Would you agree that? Uh, that's a good reason to do the homework in the boat. The boat's not the on-land world. Well, that's true. That's true. You're your own little island, and you can, you know, I lived on my boat in the Caribbean for 20 years, and, um, you know, you don't have TV. You can have radio if you choose, but it is, it's its own little, it's its own cocoon, you know. You can make it what you want it. I was thinking about that, too, um, Sailors are, there's a lot of uh, great sailors who are 
um, you know, best out to sea. Uh, not not, not uh, as great a people on land as they are out to sea. You know, it works for some people. But again, it's it's a great place to be. It's a it's an environment with a total freedom. Absolutely. But um, you can't just run free and wild. Hey, you still got the rules. You st- and there are rules. Yes. There are rules of the road. There are there are rules of seamanship. Absolutely. And uh, knowledge will be rewarded. Uh, you can learn constantly. Right. Beautiful out there. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and again. Um, there's a certain community to it as well. Oh, you have definitely. a great independence out there in your rowboat, but at the same time, everybody will help you. That's right. People are watching. And you will help everybody else because yep. that's just the way it has to be. Well, and unfortunately, that's a rule as well. Yeah. <laughs> and, and shouldn't again, have to be. Yeah, and again, uh, not, not the on-land world, uh, a parallel universe that, that has a lot of great things about it, but, and again, it's not like land, and that's why we like it out there, there in a go. lot of ways, and it's beautiful too. That's it. Yeah. So, you, uh, I'm thinking, found employment on a boat. Yeah, uh, I guess I got hooked up with a, I was in photography for a while right out of high school. And uh, the particular place I was working, there was this one guy that used to come in that worked a little with National Geographic. And he saw a lot of my pictures at the time, and that was my strong suit. And he says, well, you know, I'm going down to the Caribbean to do so, a book called America's Paradises. And we'd like you to come along as a grip. So I thought, sure, I'll go along with you. Never never really thought about taking this into the next level, but sure, let's go. Grip's not a nautical term. No, no. It's a movie. Uh, right. Yeah. Changing film, yeah, yeah. handing them lenses, ch- checking lighting, that stuff. So at that point in my life, I was like, let's go for it. So they brought me to the Caribbean. They brought me to St. Thomas, where we hopped on a 50-foot trimaran with Captain Bill Hawes. And um, him and his, his first mate, Nancy, just fascinated me. Uh, I kept saying, you get paid for this? You know, they kept sailing us around, and the plane would fly over and take pictures. And, and I just kept saying, wow, you know, you're, you're paid to sail this boat and feed us and take care of us, and you're like, yep. And I said, well, where do I sign up? You know, I was prepared to leave my photography career in the dust if they could find me some kind of employment on a yacht. So, unfortunately, I had a little baggage back in the States that I had to go take care of, but about two weeks later, I had my one duffel bag and about $1,000 in cash, and I got off the plane in St. Thomas and hit the fuel dock at American Yacht Harbor and didn't get off that fuel dock until I had a place to live and my first job. And again, you can do that. You can walk the dock and oh, absolutely. knock on hulls and say, yeah. how's it going? That's you guys it. wouldn't need any help, <laughs> would you? Because people always do. Right. Yeah. And that's it. You walk the docks and just as you said, you, you talk to everybody you can talk to and Sooner or later, somebody's going to need help. Or somebody's got to know somebody that's needs right. some help. Yes, that's right. Because it's all connected. Yep. yep. So found a job as a stewardess at 20, and that was a great place to start because you start at the bottom, obviously, and you work your way up, and that's what I did. Stewardess on what size boat? 50-foot Irwin, hmm. 52. Mm-hmm. And uh, an Irwin sailboat, Irwin sailboat. We so it was a small it the condo. Yeah, we got some yeah. trouble with the way those yeah. things are built, but oh, you know, definitely. But for a <laughs> charter boat in the Caribbean, 
As long as you don't take it out into the slobbering jaws of hell, everything should be fine. Oh, I remember at the Hinkley Company uh, in Irwin, I think it was in Irwin, 52 come in yeah. with uh, 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 Captain Carol was the captain, and I forget the mate's name. She was a woman, too. Right. And there was a jacuzzi on the aft deck. And uh, the thing was just totally dealing with the core. Balsa core was all delaminated. It was terribly built. Right. And, uh, but, geez, we loved that crew <laughs> at the Hinkley <laughs> Boyard. <laughs> Captain Carroll, she was great. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, but I've never seen a sailboat with a jacuzzi on the aft yeah, deck. You know, yeah. that kind of doesn't make any sense down here. But, you That's know, it. in the Caribbean, Yahoo. So you... Um, you know, you're down in the Caribbean, and that's that's your place nowadays. You're a Florida girl, and uh, you've been uh, kind of uh, centered in, in the St. Thomas area. Definitely. And, and uh, again, starting off as, as a stewardess, mm-hmm. um, on the boat we need people to take care of um, household chores, stewardess. Absolutely. Heads and beds. Cooks. Yep. Yeah. Didn't cook too much then. I was a little intimidated by it all, but I could wash a heck of a dish. We got to have uh, mates, too. We got to have people handle the lines and, and steer the boat and do the navigating and Absolutely. jump onto the dock and all that. And then we got to have the captain. That's it. And all those positions, again, are, are uh, you know, it's an interesting little world. You are, um, let's talk about what captain does. Oh, a, gosh. A captain's a property manager, essentially. Pretty much. Pretty much. You're watching out for the owner's investment, which... These days, you know, they, they range from a small investment to a giant investment. And uh, you have to watch everything. You know, you have to watch where you put the boat, how you move the boat, who you invite on the boat to do any work. It's, um, it's definitely pretty hairy. You term that in terms of the owner's investment. Right. And uh, I... I another boat talk theme we talk about dreams right you know and this multi-million dollar investment this happy place this this uh, fella has put a lot of uh, money into is also possibly the thing he thinks about you know laying in bed in january next to the wife you know what i'm saying absolutely every waking moment and uh you're involved with not only a a um a large uh, financial piece of gear, but, uh, uh, you know, a dream place. Absolutely. Not tricky at all. No. Because <laughs> dreams always come true, and everybody, <laughs> always, everybody's always happy in the dream zone. Oh, God, don't you wish. Yeah, and all those dream boats <laughs> come with dreamy people is what I, has been my experience. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> we are doing boat talk this morning. Looks like we're all about halfway through it, and we're talking to Captain Kelly Clicker. She is a uh, yacht captain, and... Uh, you know, she's migrated to the local area. We'll get to that in just a minute. Um, anytime you want to give a call, join the conversation. Uh, we'd love to have you give us a call. One of the uh, things that Giffy often brings up is he believes, and I pr- agree with him too, that the uh, we were speaking about rules of the road a while ago. There seems to be less people aware of the rules of the road, especially, I think, down in the Caribbean where I see a lot of people going very fast. And Absolutely. And well, that's the, the bear boat thing. Mm-hmm. You know, they, if you can tell them what the pointy is and the blunt end is and you can fumble your way around the boat, they'll they'll give you the keys. They'll let you go. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's kind of scary watching them. Well, yeah, one story I, I believe told quite a while ago but worth repeating that same sort of thing was uh, doing a delivery off the sh- uh, way off Florida out of sight of land and a cigarette, cigarette boat came roaring up to us with two obviously young teenagers on board. And the first thing they said to us, which way is Florida? 
You know, it's like boy, that's scary. You know, yeah, <laughs> as you say, just giving keys to people and say, "Thanks for the check. Have a good time." Right, right. But um, there are lots of videos on YouTube too that show uh, mid uh, collisions that shouldn't have happened. Absolutely. And uh, it seems like a lot of them are related to autopilots too, where people just think the autopilot's good to go, and then right. I'm going to go back and uh, make myself a lemonade or whatever. Exactly. They have no clue. No clue. That's why a majority of the charter boats that are bare boat, mm -hmm. they don't have autopilots. Probably a good thing. Yes. <laughs> um, how do you get to be captain? That's a matter of experience. You also have to study and take a test. Absolutely. Yeah, I started out, you know, from that very first day on the dock, start gathering sea time. That's the big thing That's about big thing. becoming a certified captain. That's you it. have you to document sea time. That's right. You got to prove. They've changed it a little bit now. You don't have to take it and get it notarized. But you have to prove that you've been a sh at sea for a certain number of days. And that is assumed that experience is the teacher, and they want you out there for at least a certain amount of time. Absolutely. For yeah. the license that I held in the beginning, I had to have 365 days at sea. Out of uh, five years total? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So In a five-year period, you had to be at sea on a, on a boat. 365, yeah. Not at out, sea, out, on a boat. Right. Floating off the dock. Yeah. Right. Uh, one year out of five. Correct. Which two. is a lot of time. If you think about it, right. or that's the point I was making. It kind of really pilot, is. Yeah. You know, you compare that to a pilot. Pilots don't need a lot of time to become a pilot. Not, I mean, you know, basically... We need a whole year. They only need a few hours. Well, you know not what, a few, but... You know what I think about uh, plane people and, and boat people? When the plane messes up, you're in a lot more trouble. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they don't need so much training time. Right, I can't right. fly, but I swim like a fish. Right. <laughs> I flunked. <laughs> and you can float well. One, uh, uh, the uh, telephone number this morning, you want to join the conversation here. We're doing Boat Talk, 1-866-625-9378. Talking to Captain Kelly Quicker this morning. Um, so, yeah, it takes uh, time to get this exper experience. You uh, take a course, you pass a test, and, and now you're a licensed master. That's it. Yeah. And Just waiting for somebody to give you a set of keys. What was the first job you got <laughs> as captain, Kelly? Uh, I was, once again, in Red Hook, St. Thomas. It was on an O-Day 32, I believe. Small sailboat? Small sailboat, day charter boat called Halcyon Days. And we're taking uh, six people out at six a time, people. out you know, out for a three-hour cruise. Yeah, well, yeah. it was really it was a long day, you know, starts at eight and ends at four. Yeah. Uh, the funniest thing, you know, the 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 owner of the boat, Rick O'Dell, is setting me off, and he says to me, "Now just sail into the harbor when you're done. There's no reverse on the transmission." And I looked up, like I've got my people on board, and <laughs> you know, there's <laughs> no mate, just me. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, you know, you get even with the fuel dock and you roll that sail in. And by the time you come down to the mooring and head up, you'll have slowed the boat down enough to catch the mooring and stop the stop the boat's movement. Mm. One, one shot. Yeah. And luckily for me, I listened very carefully and I, I did it. I was so floored that, you know, I got that, the eye on the hook and stopped it and everything was great and... I figured, gosh, if I could do that, I can I can continue with this course in life, you know. 
So we've uh, uh, entered the charter boat trade down in St. Thomas, and we're getting a lot of time on the water. Absolutely. Meeting a lot of people. Yep. But you ain't going to stay in that O'Day 32 the whole time. No, no, no. No, we go upwards and onwards. Absolutely. So you know, what kind of, uh, how about some resume uh, high points there, dear? Gosh, um, started doing that, and then that segued into multi-passenger powerboats. And I ran some multi-passenger 49-pack powerboats down there for about four years. Realized that I didn't really like that very much because you had a lot of chances. You had 49 chances of things to go wrong. Hmm. 49 people you don't know in the water that you're watching. And here you're relying on a first mate to watch with you, and they don't care. This is a dive boat? No, it wasn't diving. I would not get involved in that Hmm. due to... (laughs) <laughs> even more yeah. things going wrong. So decided to segue out of there, and I did a short little stint trying to get involved in the Olympics for sailing. I ended up being an um, a alternate and a coach for the Virgin Islands Olympic Tornado Sailing Team for nice. a couple of years. Nice. It was pretty chaotic. Tornadoes are, are small, uh, kind of dinghy-sized sailboats. They're actually 20-foot catamarans. Okay. 20-foot catamarans. Ooh. Yeah, they're they're fun. Kind of scary. I, yeah, I pulled my <laughs> catamaran out of the lake yesterday. I, I see the ice coming. I say, I'm not going to get to go sailing again. But there I like, you go. <laughs> like the catamarans. We're going to talk more put about some, Put yeah. some ice wings on that baby. <laughs> That's how I got it out. I skidded across the ice. That go. was part of my plan. That's so anyway, cool. yeah. Um, yeah, uh, so eventually we've fetched up into the large powerboat, uh, you know, medium medium to large size powerboat uh, market, which again is a pretty strong segment of the boating market. Right now it is. Yeah, yeah. we call those in, in the world I live in, which is mostly sailboats, right. we call those people heavy metal. All right, that, yeah. that works. And again, we were down in Newport at the boat show last fall and and picked up a boat that was nestled. Uh, sm- we're on a 36-foot uh, Morris Day Sailor, and the right. smallest boat around us was, uh, well, it was Hooter Patrol 4, which you right, know. Right, right, right. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. But that, that's a 100-footer. The other smallest one is like 185 feet, you know, right. and, and it had just been stretched. And those 100-footers are small these days. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And Hooter Patrol 4, we thought that was uh, remarkable because uh, all these boats, too, the big power boats, um, they have, you know how you paint your name on your transom with, right. and maybe outline it in gold leaf? Well, these guys <laughs> will put their name across the side of the big superstructure of the boat in neon lights. Right. Hooter Patrol 4. Right, right, right. Um, Just in case you missed it. Yeah, Mia, 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 Mia Mayo or right. whatever, you know, and that's in neon lights on the Absolutely. side of the boat. It's a little bit much. But the other thing we always talk about is, is the flag of the vessel. Right. Um, those big... Heavy metal power boats were all registered in the Cayman Islands mm-hmm. and the um, uh, Marshall Islands. That's yes, right. and none of them, of course, are the flags of convenience. Hooter Patrol 4 was registered with an American flag, and it turns out you know who those people are, don't you? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And we wondered too, and it turns out that they're the uh, people from Hooter's Restaurant. That's it. So, yeah, they, they like to go boating. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, anyway, Hooter Patrol 4, but uh, these. Uh, uh, big boats. It's it's an interesting little world there, and even as fellow boat people on the same dock on a beautiful little um, dream sailboat, right? 
we don't really communicate with those powerboat people as we're living in different worlds. You know, we say hi to them when the, you know, they watch us scrubbing the deck. They think we're insane. And, yeah. and uh, we can't I mean, even imagine what happens when they disappear into that big metal thing there. So Right. You know, it's really sad because, you know, I was, I was raised a sailor. I've got, you know, many, many thousands of miles under a keel sailing all over the place. And I was on this, this other powerboat I worked on, a little 72-footer in Newport a couple years back, hauled out, getting some work done. And I was overhearing a guy down below giving directions to his friend to come to see him. And he was going, yeah, you know, there's this green car there, and you take a left at this green car, and you, you walk down the dock, and we're the third sailboat on the right. And I said, well, you know, dude, there's this giant big powerboat called Kool-Aid sitting right here. If you tell him to take a left at the Kool-Aid, it might be, that green car might be leaving. And he says, I don't recognize you. <laughs> and I was like, wow, you better recognize it because you walk under this boat and hit your head, you're going to be down to your knees, you know. But it was just a sailor talking to me like, you know, oh, I don't recognize you because you're a stink potter. It's like... It's just so hurtful, you know. You wonder we're all mariners when it comes down to it. That is true. I guess yeah. what I'm saying is the sociality of it. The um, uh, some of those big powerboats are their own little uh, moated, gated, right. uh, security cambered kingdoms. Right, right. That right. again, you don't just casually uh, knock on the hull and go, "Hey, anybody right. home?" Right, right, <laughs> Not right. To those places, right. You know, and you push the uh, communication button. Yeah. <laughs> um, but a, a very interesting world to live in. We as uh, uh, sailboat deliverers, we're always teasing. The, I don't want a, I don't want a steering wheel out there in the wicked wild uh, and wet out there. I want a steering wheel with a couch and a big screen TV <laughs> right behind it. That's what I'm looking for. And we've done some uh, powerboat deliveries, uh, Grand Banks and stuff. I have no problem with powerboats, none, none whatsoever. Um, but again, you're. Um, you're the captain. You're managing this property here. You've got to have um, the last boat you're on's hundred foot or more or less, right? Yeah, yeah. There's more than you. Got to help run that boat. You got other yeah, people too. Yeah, had a crew. Had a crew, and um, you know the. I guess the hardest part is keeping the boat running, operational, clean. You know, if the owners pop in, you want to have it ready for them to throw lines and go at any moment. So just um, organizing everybody to. Keep the boat ready to go is a job in its own. The easiest part being knowing which side of the buoy to stay on and how to get in and out of the harbor mm -hmm. when you get right down to right, it. Right, right. But the rest of it can be pretty tricky. Exactly. Um, you meet captains sometimes who, uh, how should I put this nicely, don't want to do certain things. Absolutely. I'm the captain. I'm right. above that. Right. You can't be above anything on when no you're the captain of a boat, can you? No way. I mean, you know. It's your job to make sure everybody else does their jobs. And if, you know, if your stewardess isn't doing it quick enough, you got to jump in and help her out, you know. And it's the same thing with everything. It's, you know, it's my job to make sure everybody's pulls together for that final production. So I guess we got to talk about sex now, Captain. <laughs> uh, the, captain <laughs> the captain is a woman. Right. You know, uh, what difference does that make? Uh, these days, not really a lot. You know, uh, women obviously look at things differently on a boat than men do. Um, 
I'm a little bit more critical of the cleanliness of the boat, including my engine room. You know, my engine room is always spotless. All the tools are put away properly. A lot of guys walk on board, look at the engine room and shake their heads like, man, this is crazy. But a clean engine room is a happy engine room. A clean engine room, uh, I have a captain friend who uh, specializes in, in clean repainting engine rooms and stuff, mm -hmm. uh, commercial, and again, get a lot of resistance. But when something goes wrong, right. you can you spot can tell, it. Right. That's it. Yep. But yeah, you know, you, just, you can tell a boat that's run by a woman if it's next to a boat that's run by a dude that just doesn't really care that much. You know, you see it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, see how I can phrase this one, too. Uh, looks are important for a captain. Captain's got to look right. Absolutely. You got, you're playing a part. Right. As well. Right. That's one of your jobs. Absolutely. Um, you wear a, a shirt with the epaulets on it, even? Uh, I have a shirt with epaulets on it. Yep, the captain's uh, shirt. Right, right, right. I have yeah. not really been required to wear it as of yet, which is kind of nice. <laughs> um, you know, it's a little stuffy. But I have a set of very small gold bars that I'll wear on my collar that, you know, you can wear your regular polo shirt, put a little set of gold bars on the collar, a little understated. Hmm. You know, I don't need to run around with a flag that says, I'm a captain. You know, they figure that out when I pull the boat off the dock. If you do it right, right. everybody will get it. That's it. Huh. Um, do you know a lot of other female captains many, in the same? Yeah? Many, many, many. In the Virgin Islands, where I come from, in Red Hook, um, the women captain outnumber the men. So there's well, isn't that and I'm having a problem now. Mike's headed south. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we probably have um, more than a dozen women captain in the day sail fleet. And just off the top of my head, I can probably think of five boats, not including the sport fishers, just sailboats that are run by guys. So it's, it's kind of nice. We've noticed locally that the uh, local private captain is going a bit out of style here. Really? Northeast Harbor, for instance, this summer, there, you know, there used to be maybe a dozen people down there captaining in the summertime. Right. Anyway, not that long ago. Huh. Now there's a couple. Really? And you don't need a captain as much as you used to. That's true, it's with becoming, all the electronics. Yeah, it's becoming more idiot resistant. That's it. And, uh... Yeah, uh, but again, in in the world you're living in, uh, the big powerboat world, um, you know, we like to say that, uh, and we'll go back to politics again for a minute, uh, you know, dangerous or not, uh, uh, you know, the trickle-down theory is, is interesting when you're on the boss's boat or sitting in the back seat of the boss's jet. Right. Which is the only time it makes sense to me. Right. And uh, otherwise, when people, uh, you know, you'd... you'd uh, be suspicious they're ripping a little bit too much off the top right and uh, but they're buying boats right you know and the boats are their happy places and they need us to drive them around and, and move their boats around so that's right yeah they good. don't want to spend the time getting the boat ready you know they want to fly in throw the lines and go yeah if they didn't have a captain or a crew it would take them a few days to clean the cobwebs off stock the fridge make sure the tanks are full they don't want to mess with that Kelly, we've got a beautiful 100-foot yacht. Let's imagine it's in pretty good repair. It's, it's kind of new. You've got a boatyard uh, program behind you and everything. Uh, 
what the heck would you do to it all day? I mean, there's not, you know. <laughs> That's what the bosses wonder. My favorite boat choke, <laughs> Kelly. It's only that long and that wide. How much right, trouble could right, it be? Right, right, right. You know? Well, maintenance, maintenance, maintenance. Everything from opening and closing seacocks once a month. You know, that's a two-day project. Changing light bulbs. You can go through the boat for a whole day, and there's 40 different kinds of bulbs. Changing light bulbs. Tightening hose clamps. Uh, making sure that the DVDs and everything functions in all their cabins. I think you're displaying good cabin tendencies uh-huh. there. You you stay yeah. on top of stuff, don't you? Well, you have to. Well, not every... No, you don't have oh. to. You that. <laughs> You um, do, or you hear a rag let's talk about. Uh, here's another uh, thing about the captain biz. Um, a lot of them get fired a lot. Yeah. A lot of them, uh, in my experience, will get bored being the captain, even, or take uh, liberties or short the job because right. you don't see everything that a really good captain does. So if you don't see it and I didn't do it, right. well, heck, I'm the captain, you know. Let's well, have a, let's when have you're a, when you're going out for you know six or eight days offshore twice a season, you can't slack on any of that stuff because you don't want anything to happen when you're, you know, two or three or four or 500 miles away from land, you know. So you want to make sure before you throw those lines that the vessel is going to get you to your next destination safe. Only time I was ever fired was as captain. You ever been fired as captain? Um, yeah, but not as a captain, as a, as a stewardess. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. getting all the pubes. <laughs> Learned that lesson early on. Now I'm a great cleaner. <laughs> yep. Um, you're in between gigs at the present time. Yep. You uh, just got done with a boat. It was a brand new boat. It was a brand new boat. Um, Taiwan boat. Nothing better than a brand new boat. Uh, How much trouble awesome. could a brand new boat be? Oh, Couldn't be yeah. any trouble by definition. <laughs> I mean, a brand new boat's perfect. It's, you know. Uh, it, was, it was lots of trouble. Um, just... I did not have the opportunity to go over to Taiwan for the build. So when they delivered the boat to me, they basically threw it on my lap and went, here you go. Uh, we did not really have a uh, commissioning team to speak of. You know, the boss. This boat is a very complicated property. It's a, it's a it's a it's a number of interconnected complicated systems. Absolutely. A lot of uh, uh captains on on a boat like that would go to Taiwan and right. hang out in the boatyard. Right. Watch um, the wire runs. As boat builders, we've we've known lots of captains uh coming coming while the boat's being right. built. They're considered a huge pain in the ass in Absolutely. the boatyard. Absolutely. But again, you got no vision of what's in that right. boat if you weren't doing that. Exactly. So, and the boat may or may not be well built and well engineered and then Right. We're going to start changing things even before the project's done, ain't we? Exactly. Yeah. So it was, you know, it was um, kind of a pain in the neck to get this boat and try to figure out what was going on. And um, it just got, I was understaffed, so it was just me. And I basically did the commissioning myself, which was very difficult. And um, I got it ready for the next captain. That's the way I can look at it. So I got all the systems up and running. I had all the people that needed to come in and repair anything that needed to go to the next guy, and I basically just handed the new captain my keys and said, good luck, I'm going to Maine. <laughs> Kelly, you're a, a, how'd you get to, buy, you're a Florida girl, uh, captain from the Caribbean, how the heck did you get to Bucksport? Oh, man, well, I really enjoy my vacations, you know, I, I work hard, I like to have 
big long vacations and when I was in the day charter industry I was able to take a six month per year vacation and uh, when the euro went crazy I decided that I had to stay a little bit closer to land home and I decided to come check out the mountains up here in Maine and one day I picked up Uncle Henry's and there was a beautiful piece of land for sale in Bucksport and make a long story short, the people that own the land liked me and I liked them and they decided to parcel that piece off. So I bought about seven acres up in Bucksport and it's close enough to the sea. I've got two little streams on the property so I can hear the water. Yep, a hill yeah. with some yeah. water running under it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And you built yourself a uh, shell yeah. of a castle yep, there I so far. Yep, I got a little, little shell up there and it'll, it'll last for at least another year before I can start throwing some more money into it. Yeah, nice. So it's a beautiful place. Uncle, Hen- Uncle Henry's. Uncle that's Henry's. A, that's <laughs> a good down east story there. You throw Uncle Henry's in there. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Dreams do come true. Um, you're, um, like say, between gigs at the mm-hmm. present time. Yep. Yep. Happily. If anybody's looking for a captain, you available? That's it. I'm available. If the, if the gig is right. How can anybody get in touch with you? <laughs> you have a website, don't you, for instance? I do. It's uh, Captain Kelly K at gmail or at, uh, at dot com. And my email is Captain Kelly K at gmail dot com. Captain Kelly so Clicker. Yeah. You can call these guys here and they'll get you in touch with me but i'm always willing to get on the water yeah now the phone hasn't rung yet this morning here at boat talk we have we have uh, such a good time talking among ourselves <laughs> uh, but we do like it when the phone rings we got a couple more minutes one 625 9378 talking to captain kelly from the caribbean or is it mount dessert hard to tell uh you know how you pronounce that um the uh, big powerboat uh, gig is, is, like I say, it's a, it's a nice world. Where do you like to go? Uh, generally, you know, I don't get to pick where we go. The owners get to pick where we go. Where but, do you like that you get to go? Right, right. Um, you know, St. Martin, St. Bart's is kind of nice. St. Bart's is kind of beautiful. A lot of interesting sailing. We get to go to the St. Bart's bucket every year. Watch the big sailboats race, which is just heavenly for me because a lot of my friends are racing those boats. Um, St. Thomas, obviously, like to head out over there, see my old friends. Uh, usually spend the New Year's Eve in uh, the Bitter End, which is another great place. You know, the uh, cool thing about my last job is the owners, they would, um, they would rent a Hobie Cat for the day. And they just basically tie it up behind the boat and say, clicker, it's yours. Take it out. Take us out. Do whatever you want. But at least once a season, they'd, they'd say, go in and rent a sailboat because we know you're jonesing. Go hmm. sail around. So we'd rent lasers or something and just have some fun. So I like to go where the water is clean and people are happy. You've been in the Caribbean uh, on your card. It says 26 years experience there. Uh, noticed any changes over 26 years? Lots. I guess the, the saddest change is when um, we sailed back into the Caribbean after being in Europe for a season. And, uh, you know, everybody likes to go to Foxy's because Foxy's is a great place. And we sailed in, and when we left, the island had no power. It was quiet. And we came back in, and the whole Great Harbor was lit up by neon. 
that was probably the saddest change. Now, on on those big power boats we're talking about, or just uh, the harbor on shore? The harbor on shore. Yeah. yeah. The harbor on shore. Yeah. A lot of lot of uh, when a when an island gets power, they get crazy. Now, and I, I want to bring my big powerboat down there with my neon sign, but it's not going to get much attention in there, so I'm going to have to make it flash right, now. Right, right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Strike to get lights. people to look at me, yeah. Right, right. Sound systems. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, again, uh, Paradise, I don't know. I, it's, I don't take to it down there too much. Uh, it's not, you know, you've, I've spent my whole life badging in Paradise. Right. Uh, palm trees, right. tropical beaches and stuff, and then you get... Palm trees are weeds. The bugs are weird, and right. there's lizards, and not everybody's <laughs> happy in paradise, you know. There's great poverty. And, right. It's and a different place. But, yeah. you know, as, as poor as these people look, they're happy. They're happy. You know, you get down in Grenada, and you go out into the, into the mountains of Grenada, and you see these little huts with the tattered curtains and a dirt floor, and the lady's in there, and she's sweeping her dirt floor, and they're as happy as they could ever be. You know, we were talking earlier about how all those beautiful boats don't all come with beautiful people. And uh, I got to hang out on the only squatter camp in Bermuda years ago. And the joke was the squatters, yeah. uh, you know, we, we get along with yachters and squat <laughs> yachters and squatters. And go. some of the squatters are a lot more fun than some there of those you yachters. That's you know? true. That's true. Um, but it's all how you approach people, you know, right. And, right. You know, um, being natural and honest with people. Uh, that's it tends to work about everywhere. Right. Yeah. I mean, everybody should be happy if they're on the water. You know, that's the bottom line. If you're floating, you should be happy. Happy place. We come sure. full circle to our theme there this morning. Captain mm-hmm. Kelly, uh, again, grew up in a happy boat place, Never uh, tried never to leave, and has made a pretty good career of it. That's it. And, uh, again, uh, just wandering around looking for more temperate climbs and, and changing colors of leaves and a little coolness. Found a piece of land in Uncle Henry's in Bucksport. And, and here we are doing boat talk this morning. And again, a place where we all smile a lot. And the phone is finally ringing, but we are just about running out of yeah, time. I'm afraid we're done. Yeah, yeah, Rich Hillsinger is getting ready to bring you music on the wing. It's Captain Rich Hillsinger. Yeah, Rich Hillsinger is involved uh, just a little bit with the Wooden Boat School down to Wooden Boat Magazine. Uh, That's yeah. all connected. Great place. Yeah. Oh, we do boat talk uh, once a month, the second Tuesday of the month. Last month here, it was, uh, last Tuesday, it was the Ism Prism. Next Tuesday, it'll be Wabanaki Windows, just for example. Always something different on the community radio. I'm back Wednesday morning to do the Barefoot Blues Hour. Alan, got another gig too, don't you? Yeah. Uh, My voice holds out. I'll be doing the Barefoot Blues, (laughs) the Extra Large Soul Show. (laughs) Thursdays, 2 to 4. Yep, and, uh, you know, it's community radio. We we uh, are volunteers here, and we show up and do this because it's fun, and it reflects our enthusiasm, and I hope we reflect that. Uh, this morning, talking to Kelly about, you know, her happy place, our happy place, uh, being boat people, you know, yep. is what we talked about this morning. Escapism. Yeah. Not right the away. real, yeah, <laughs> Peter Pan world uh, in some ways, but again... A beautiful world where, uh, you know, uh, knowledge is rewarded. Absolutely. Uh, good behavior, uh, you know, gets you good. Bad behavior yeah. gets you bad. And, right. And there's people there that uh, you need to look out for. You get to be independent, but yeah. you're in a community. And, it's a beautiful And out thing. on the water is uh, kind thing. of a cool place. Yep. Absolutely. They're piping us out. Yep. Thank goodness. Another hour sailed by. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering, for boat talking. Till next month. Have a good time thinking about being on the water. I used to find